0: When I was in Basel, I I avoided saying the word NFT as much as possible as a technologist involved in this space. If somebody ever offered me a piece of digitally native work that wasn't documented and timestamped as an NFT, I'd be like, what the hell is this? Why would you not utilize this technology to allow me to authenticate the validity of what you're giving me or selling me in 10 years? The value associated with an Artbox NFT in 2021 was skewed towards the technology. The value associated with an Artblocks NFT in 2022, I hope, is associated more with the content.
1: Welcome to the Intelligence Podcast. Live Arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Maneker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information, as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. Eric Calderon is the founder and CEO of Artblocks. It's a generative art platform that produces NFTs. Generative digital art projects rely on a set of rules defining variables and parameters that control the visual characteristics of the iterative works. As Snowfro, Calderon's crypto name, he is the creator of the Chromie Squiggles, a generative art project capped at 10,000 unique iterations. To date, Calderon has minted more than 9,000 of the Chromie Squiggles and retains the remainder. An early adopter of CryptoPunks, Calderon is an influential figure in the NFT community. He and our blocks have been one of the most successful NFT platforms. In this podcast, we discuss his recent trip to Basel, Switzerland, and his views on the current state of the NFT market, as well as its future prospects. I hope you find it interesting. Eric Calderon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. I want to talk to you about a bunch of different things that you're doing with Art Blocks and some of the partnerships you have with Pace Verso and with Venus over Manhattan. And I especially want to hear about your trip to Art Basel, the heart of the art world. But before we get there, I thought, can you just explain for everyone, the Chromie Squiggle is your generative art project and Art Blocks is the business that's somewhat parallel to it, but I was hoping you could sort of put it in your own words. Yeah, The crummy
0: Squiggle is, a, is an artwork that is the project zero of art blocks, right? And we say project zero because we started with project zero, number one, number two, number three. I think we're at project number 320 today. And it is just one of a bunch of different generative art algorithms that are running on Artblocks on the Ethereum blockchain. So I was originally created as a proof of concept to demonstrate how much variability you can get with a generative algorithm. But shortly before releasing Artblocks, I thought that it'd be kind of fun to include it also as an artwork on the platform. So while Chromie Squiggles are created by me and Artblocks was created by me, Artblocks has turned into a organization with a lot of different team members and a lot of constituencies that go well beyond just me. And so the Chromie Squiggle remains as just an independent project of myself as like under my name, Snowfro, as the artist. And our blocks continues to release really awesome art into the uh, generative art
1: world so you're eating your own dog food you're both the proprietor and your best customer
0: early on i'd say yeah i think at this point with the team as big as it is i I go out of my way to make sure that i'm not speaking for the team and so hopefully proprietor is no longer a word i use to to describe my relationship with art blocks like there's just too many people that have too much influence into what's happening in the team but yes in a weird way yes sir
1: (laughs) well i guess that gets to my next question because that makes you both as a generative artist yourself someone who has a project to explain, promote, participate in, because when people buy art, they want to usually get to know the artist and understand the background and concept behind it. But as the founder of Artblocks, you are also somewhat of an evangelist for digital art, generative art, and I presume as well, in a broader sense, the blockchain.
0: Yeah, I think this is actually a really beautiful thing that's happened in that I get to share my journey as a technologist and as an artist and as a participant in this space a collector in this space and as someone that followed generative art for way before art blocks existed because contrary to the belief of a lot of people within this space, generative art has existed for a really long time and art blocks just kind of enabled a new way to distribute and kind of collect that art. But yeah, there's something really interesting here that I think enables me to have a broader vision and to be able to tell a more complete story because I have been affected as the artist and also with seeing what's happening with art blocks I think that the success of art blocks and the success of the Chromie Squiggle have a tendency to go hand in hand, just simply from the fact that within this ecosystem, the Chromie Squiggle has become a bit of a mark to represent, in some cases, generative art, and in other cases, just like digital art as a whole. And that's not something that I would ever want to impose onto the generative art world or onto the other generative artists. But at the same time, it is this kind of pure thing that people get to rally behind and the fact that they participated early on in in what we're experiencing now people that were participating in this when a promise school was 10 bucks and there wasn't really a lot of like expectation of huge financial gain from owning or minting a bunch of them so that that journey has been eye opening for me and for people around me for anyone that works at art blocks anyone that's participated in art blocks for many 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 artists on art blocks and it, it's been interesting
1: so uh, talk to me about, uh, we can talk about the money later. And in many ways, this is a good time to talk about that or set that aside because it has become less crazy, less all-encompassing. So I think it, it's probably best to talk about the art as art and the relationship with collectors or at least people who are curious about, about it and how they how they interact with you. So you were just in Art Basel. You've been doing a, a number of different events with Adam Lindemann, who uh, his gallery Venus over in Manhattan has minted some of your chromie squiggles. And I believe you sold something like 50 chromie squiggles at Art Basel. Is that correct?
0: Through the gallery. Yeah. So I've gotten to a point through getting to know Adam over the year and a half in this space to where I consider him as like the person that represents me personally as an artist. And I have some commercial stuff and some weird crypto stuff that I do. And I, I don't necessarily include that in, in my participation with Adam, but there, there's this common theme in the crypto space that you need to get rid of the intermediary and that the galleries are gatekeepers and all these things. And I think it's really kind of short-sighted to, to feel that approach. In reality, the gallery actually serves a purpose of education and mentorship in a way that reading Twitter is, is, is just not going to provide. And the, The reality of the art world is very different than the reality of what has happened with a few of the individual artists in the ecosystem that have found just kind of this kind of crazy wild excitement behind their work. So I have this honor and opportunity to get to work with Adam Lindemann and Venus over Manhattan. His team is a lot of fun they 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 seem to genuinely care about the squiggle and about my work and about me as an artist and have been nothing but curious and supportive and it's been it's been it's been really fun to work with it's not the easiest thing in the world right because it's not the normal mindset for the traditional art gallery by any means. And it's also not the normal mindset for the web three space. And so there, there is actually like a, a happy medium that is being reached here, right? Like, people ask me, well, why don't you just sell the squiggles by unpausing the mentor? Absolutely. I could unpause the Chromium squiggle mentor and sell the rest of them out probably fairly quickly at floor value, but I do have also some other goals. I have goals of expanding the collector base. I have goals of getting genuine feedback from people from the contemporary art world. I have goals of being exhibited and Adam is a really friendly guy, but if I can't generate income for his gallery, there's no way that he's going to spend money setting up art fairs for me or throwing events at his gallery. As we kind of break through just like the normal crypto echo chamber bubble, there are normal life things that businesses have to operate. like normal businesses and have rent and payrolls. And so even though, yeah, I I make less money when I sell squiggles through the gallery, I'm gaining a significant amount of information and data and, and what I found his recognition also for getting to release work through him, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been very interesting for both of us, but I, I really enjoy working with Adam.
1: Well, I, I think that's what's so interesting about it. Is one, I don't think you were opposed to this, but you were saying, and I think you're advocating to others to understand that that not all galleries operate well or efficiently, and there's plenty to criticize in the way they they work, but they exist for a reason. And those reasons don't just disappear simply because you can go directly and sell to as many buyers as you like. There, there's a reason you have a gallery. It's a place for people to go back to. It's someone to be an evangelist for your work. I, I noticed at Art Basel, they created an armature to display many screens as a way of, I'm assuming, kind of presenting something digital in a physical way that would help educate the buyers. And and I guess what I'm leading up to is what I'm most curious is to hear what your encounters with some of those, I'm assuming you met some of those 50 buyers. What were their reactions? What were their questions for you? What were your impressions of them?
0: It's, it's really interesting. I, I got nothing but love and praise. And maybe because the people that didn't want to give that just like steered totally clear of it. Right. So this is a very biased thing, but it's really hard to express the sentiment when I walk up in the morning and there's like some random person sitting there talking to Scott and Cappy at work with Adam and they, they were working in educating people about squiggles, And I walk up and just overhear this conversation talking about, well, this is a slinky and slinky. And I'm just like, is this person someone that has ever even bought something digital? And it's, it's, it, it's so heartwarming. Like it's just like, it, it, it's one thing for me to be nerding out about slinkies and fuzzies and talking to people and talking to NFT people about it. But hearing that in real life, in a real life fair, art or design, whatever, real life exhibition booth, come out of someone's mouth that just seems to be excited, just as excited about what I've created than I am, talking to a complete stranger who seems captivated by it, because then Scott would be like, oh, here's here's Eric, he's the creator. And that person would come up with like just nothing but love and like curiosity and excitement, it's its something that's really hard to explain, but I've often said that I'm not driven by money, I'm driven by validation. And there's nothing, there's nothing more validating than that. And it's, it's interesting because again, like we have to kind of, we have to tiptoe here because a lot of times people in the space, they accuse galleries in the traditional art world of, of gatekeeping. Which even I was kind of like, yeah, let's not gatekeep. Let's make this open democratization of art. So, of course, I did not announce that if you came to Art Basel and came to the fair, you would be able to buy a squid because more than 50 people might have come to, I, who knows, maybe not, maybe. People would be like, "Yeah, never mind. I don't care for squiggles." But I, we did the same thing when we sold the three hundred online, where I didn't announce, "Hey, if you send an email, you're going to get a squiggle." I just announced and said, "If you're curious about squiggles, send an email." I don't get. We're not going to get to play these games very often before people are like, "Okay, when SoFro does something, it means that there's going to be a squiggle." And so we're capitalizing on this early on so that we don't have to go down this like gatekeeping concept. But let's let, let, let's be very real here. If if I did. You know we now have people that are spending fifteen thousand dollars on a chromie squiggle if i did a drop tomorrow with a thousand nfts and there's 2700 people that own chromie squiggles and i did not give them an opportunity to mint that nft before all the other people it would be incredibly detrimental for my relationship with those 2700 people to not have given them that opportunity there is no other word to describe that but gatekeeping because all of the other people that don't get one assuming that it was good work are going to feel left out and they're going to feel left out because of gatekeeping. The only people that really can get away without gatekeeping are new projects and platforms that are releasing artwork within standards and rules of like Dutch auctions, et cetera. So, being there, knowing that squiggles were being sold, knowing that If it had been announced, more people would have shown up to buy them. But in reality, the only people that showed up were the people that either stumbled across. I mean, I tweeted that I was there. We all tweeted about the exhibition. So people that wanted to say hello, that wanted to see the exhibition, obviously it's far away in Switzerland. And knowing that people were able to purchase one by having shown up, I love this idea of rewarding the people that just demonstrate curiosity and excitement and and delighting them with something like this. And yeah, it was just, it was such an incredible experience, man. I, I I don't know how else to phrase it.
1: No, I think that 50 of these sold at Art Basel is a huge number, primarily because Art Basel is a place that people are there for one purpose, to try and buy art. It is not a casual art fair. Most of the people who are there, especially the first couple of days, they're there because they know galleries have saved the best stuff. I've heard... Some collectors complain that the problem is everything's pre-sold now, so you show up and it's hard to find anything to, to to buy, and they're there seriously to buy. If they don't buy, it's not because they didn't have the money, it's because they couldn't find something they really wanted. So 50 of those type of people buying Chromie squiggles from Adam Lindemann, presuming most of them are were not going there to get a Chromie squiggle, especially given the great divide there still is between the the traditional art world and the digital art world. I saw that number. I thought it was huge.
0: I was Uh, was
1: really excited about it. Also, we weren't in
0: the art fair itself, right? We were at Design Miami, which is across the street, which is more of a design fair, which has significantly less traffic than the art fair too. So people actually had to make an effort. People that were looking for art had to make an effort to come to Design Miami and, and see the booth and yeah, no. So it was just, it was, it was, yeah, it was fun.
1: And then the second part of it is, I understand why people find gatekeeping to be an issue, but one of the things that art galleries do is create a community. The most important thing about most art that is sold isn't just that it gets sold to someone, but that there's a connection so that if that person wants to, is no longer in love with it, that it can be sold back and replaced with someone else. And, and I would think, especially with digital art, there is a danger of a lot of, of this stuff kind of being a novelty and then disappearing. The, the money somewhat prevents that. But we can't be sure that the money's always going to be there. <laughs> In fact, with the way crypto has come da- down, the money's a lot smaller now than it was uh, a year ago, for, for better or for worse. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure how you, you view it. So that that community building and making connections and maintaining the community is an important part of having it.
0: I'm sure that there are outliers, or maybe even this is, maybe this is the norm, right? But to me, as someone that has built a business and and you have to give your existing customers a feeling of value because they are existing customers, right? Like running a tile company, if we were busy and there's 10 people in the showroom and a bunch of appointments and a random person comes off the street that's never come here, we're gonna be like, I'm so sorry but can you please come back with an appointment?" But a client that visits us all the time comes in and it's like, oh man, I'm with these people, just give me a moment. And then you're juggling a couple people, but you give them the time of day because they support you. It would be completely unreasonable for a gallery to have a very small edition from an artist, a highly anticipated artist and say to their entire collector base, sorry, sorry. I'm actually just going to go let someone off the street come in and buy it. But that seems to be the the concept of gatekeeping that people have a hard time with. But that might also be the concept of creating a customer base that people in the crypto space lack so much. And I think a lot of the early success of our blocks when it's not nearly as noisy as it is now, but back then there was still some noise. Is just, I, I, I don't think that I'm gifted at this. I just spent 20 years working with customers and developing relationships. And that's something that came very natural to me. If you are completely opposed to gatekeeping in that sense, in the way that I've described it, there is, I think, malicious gatekeeping. I think there are situations where it is about pride and it is about snobbery and it is about like getting the prices high, but but for the most part, if you are against that kind of gatekeeping that I've just described, then there's an inherent incompatibility with making the people that support you, whether it's me supporting the people that support me as an artist or me supporting the collectors that support Artblocks as a, as a platform, we need to be able to give those people recognition for being collectors. And a lot of that is, in, in this case, for example, would be considered gatekeeping. You can fight decentralization in some ways and not in others, but ultimately like to, we, we want decentralization. So let's use the tools that we like out of it and not necessarily conflate everything. Decentralization being everything, kill the middleman, kill the gatekeeper. Like it doesn't actually have to work that way. We can we can find some nuances and, and, and work through those.
1: That, that does seem to be the central paradox of crypto is that it, Everyone dreams of decentralization and talks about what the advantages would be but there are huge centripetal forces that keep bringing things back to some sort of nodes in all aspects of this. And, and that that vision has yet to be realized in a way that you can point to it and say, yes, there's something that's a- actively working in a decentralized way. I and mean, it's not exactly a novel technology anymore. I know that we're still building on is, but we've had years for that. So it would suggest that those forces towards things being centralized remain an issue. Adam Lindeman's not the only gallery you work with you've recently announced that artblox has a partnership with pace verso and I was hoping you could just talk a little bit about that
0: yeah that's that's really exciting too and completely different situations right and that's something that's really kind of interesting I had. I had a gentleman walk up to me at the Basel booth and be like, okay, so does, does this mean that Pace is going to sell the rest of your squiggles? And I understand, like, this is all pretty novel to people. And so I can, I can, I can kind of understand how people can be confused. So my favorite artists in the world happen to be represented by Pace. These are people that I've looked up to and that I respect as artists, as creatives, as people making statements in our society, blah, blah, blah. These are creative people that I think can add value to what we're doing at Art Blocks by Releasing that kind of bucket of creativity into this method of collecting and distribution that we've created in ArtBlocks that has proven itself to be a compelling way to share and experience art. And so, any of those Pace artists could technically approach ArtBlocks directly. In fact, we worked with Leo Vieira, who is a Pace artist, before there was an announcement of any kind of partnership because Leo had the. the capacity the capability and the understanding of the space to just work with art blocks directly and chose to work with with art blocks but the reality is again like we do need the galleries we need their mentorship we need their support and i i believe that art blocks can offer pace a a place where pace can offer their it's stable of just a roster of amazing artists a comfort zone of releasing art into the nft world in a way that feels compatible with the community and with the ethos. In other words, these artists may not even be prolific creative coders just a lot of artists don't actually do their own art they just get other people to do it but they're creatives they can offer creative direction to stuff that can be compelling and we started with artists that actually are very native to the space so john gerard and leo Villarreal both people that have been working with digital environments for a long time so we bring to the table this opportunity this kind of clean entry in my opinion for the contemporary artists to enter the nft space almost in a way of being pulled in versus bullying their way in, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And in exchange for that, we get a just totally different approach to releasing art. Like if you look, for example, our box does, I think a phenomenal job of like doing artist interviews and helping the artists with their writing. but we are a growing organization and, and we are kind of scattered sometimes when it comes to these things and then you look at like how pace approaches a project release and the words that surround it the PR, the copy, the images the, the describing the artist's history, the artist statement that comes with it interviews with the artist and It's just so much more thorough, captivating, compelling content. And that's something that Artblocks can learn from. And I think that that's something that Artblocks collectors deserve. And so, yes, we are, in a way, offering our collectorship to be exposed to these PACE artist NFTs. And so they might be growing their audience, which I think is great. I think every artist deserves to grow their audience. But we are also, as a platform, learning so much about how to effectively onboard an art project and make it just be at that top-notch level like in the big leagues of art and as a result of that because pace gallery is at such a high stature in in the in the contemporary art world it gives us a nod of recognition as some, as, a, as an organization that has done something that has been compelling enough for a very established organization in the traditional art world to be willing to to take a chance with. And that is something that's very valuable to me. We see crypto organizations splashing money literally everywhere left and right. Everything in a lot of things in the traditional art world that are involving crypto feel like a sponsorship. And there's no way that, I I mean, I don't know, maybe one day galleries will get desperate enough, but like Pace doesn't reserve a wall in their gallery every fair for like a sponsor to come in and like display whatever they wanna display. Like you have to earn that wall. And we have now earned a wall at Pace offerings with the work that we're generating through this partnership. And maybe this is just very selfish, but like from a validation perspective, it makes me feel like we've created something that is of compelling value outside of just the crypto space. And that's really one of the most important things to me is that we transcend crypto, that we use it for the technology that it is, but that we really start leaning into like the content and the value of the artwork for the sake of the
1: artwork itself. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but whether this is by accident or just perfect timing, but it does seem to me as crypto comes back down and so much of the hype and overexcitement and and just... Talking about it as money rather than as art seems to be going away. One of your best defenses is to be associated with longstanding institutions, or enterprises that have a deep bench of of collectors, have the experience to do this, because your goal is primarily to create art and have that art be collected, have, have a constituency.
0: We would like for it to be recognized as art and this helps. It might be harder to get the more traditional pace collector to cross the bridge into our world of degeneracy in the NFT space, but it does give some confidence. I mean, look at Coinbase, they They thought that by creating an NFT marketplace or they think that 80 million people or however many people they had, we're going to come over to NFTs because they were creating a, it's like a, it's a link and and that link might take some time to mature, but it will probably eventually come through. We have created a pretty formal link between the traditional art world and, and, and kind of like the digital world of what's happening in the NFT space. And I think it's kind of maybe the other way around in terms of what's happened with the values, I think. The values of everything coming down have been incredibly disarming on both sides. When I was in Basel, I I avoided saying the word NFT as much as possible. I really dug into the idea that as a technologist involved in this space, if somebody ever offered me a piece of digitally native work that wasn't documented and timestamped as an NFT, I'd be like, what the hell is this? It literally is like, "What, what are you giving me? Why would you not utilize this technology to allow me to authenticate the validity of what you're giving me or selling me in in 10 years. So if we really can just lean into the technology itself, when values go down and we really just get to start talking about the content and the technology, the value associated with an Artblocks NFT in 2021 was skewed towards the technology. The value associated with an Artblocks NFT in 2022, I hope. Is associated more with the content for our industry in the digital art world in in general, just not just generative, but digital art to really thrive and succeed. We have to accept the fact that this is just a tool, a technology that's making digital art feel tangible in a way that was that that wasn't felt before, and we should now be focused on art that feels like the value is based entirely, ninety five percent. On the content of the artwork and not on the technology itself and we're working towards that and i think that that disarming nature is very much why not just Pace might be interested in working with art blocks right now but why their collectors don't look at it as like oh yeah you're just chasing the dollars because in reality
1: there haven't been nearly the amount of dollars this year as there were last year has that affected has that affected sales, either of your of chromy squiggles or just across art blocks, without the idea that the, the things are going to skyrocket or or go to the moon as as the crypto people say? Are people less interested, even if they're cheaper, or because they're cheaper, are people more like, hey, I can buy one of these things and it's it's not something that I have to worry about making a huge sacrifice. If I really love it, great, I'll pick it up.
0: Yeah. I think there's a few different kind of variables at play here. I think there are a lot of people that think one ETH equals one ETH period. And so a squiggle at 14 ETH is, I think the floor at 14 ETH is, might be uh, an all-time high or getting close to being an, Well, oh, no, did it hit 20? I can't remember. It, last year there was a blur, but so they see it as success. And, but then, then there's a world where people from the outside world are looking at that as, oh, I can get a squiggle for 12 or 15,000. Last year, it was $40,000 at one point. I do think that growth comes from these situations because there was a number in my mind that if a squiggle on the floor at OpenSea hit that number, I would be willing to call a non wealthy friend that has been curious and interested about the space and been like, look, this is a number that I feel that if you bought this thing and it went down 30%, like it's not going to change your life. But And if it went to zero, yeah, it would, it would hurt, but you're like, you're not, you're not going to be out on the streets, but also you get to participate now and you get, because there is a sense of ownership that you get. I mean, obviously ownership in the NFT, but also then just like participant in the space when you have one of these NFTs that have gotten this level of recognition, there is a certain gravitas of just like feeling...
1: That's that's what owning art is. I mean, you you participate in supporting the artist and being part of the community of people who own those works. That's why provenance is so important in our art and knowing who else are the collectors is so important. That's why the gatekeeping happens, because it's more valuable to be part of the club. And one of the interesting things is how NFTs have migrated towards that sense of of community in in very different forms you have one very specific kind of format for it that seems to me is the most art forward of those sort of community formats because it's iterative it it creates a community so yes i I, that the egalitarian thing you're just describing here which is a sincere person who really wants to participate but doesn't just doesn't have the money or can't take the risk at the prices previously this should be an opportunity to say great here's your chance come on in the water's fine
0: Well, I'm not an oracle, but absolutely the price of the chromium squiggle hit that number, actually went below that number by a couple hundred bucks for a week, and then it kind of went and bounced back up. And so it does give me also confidence in in thinking that my rational brain and what my rational brain thinks that something rationally, not should be worth, it's worth as much as someone's willing to pay for it, but... Rationally is a good entry point for someone actually was a reasonable target. And I felt the same way for CryptoPunks, right? So this doesn't just have to be like, art that's intended to be art for the sake itself. Although I do think that CryptoPunks were intended to be art for the sake of art itself, but they were completely consumed as a PFP culture. Same thing. I was sitting there thinking 50,000 bucks like that for the people that want one, like that might be the entry point. And sure enough, it went down to like 47 or 46, but now it has bounced back. So it's interesting to see these, these cycles.
1: The last thing I wanna ask you is the reverse of this because you had a, I, I love your Twitter threads and you had buried in one, one an encouragement to the web three crowd to in your travels, seek out an art forward event. And and I was hoping you could tell me a little bit the backstory to, to, to that. Is it because a lot of the people involved in this don't understand that it's art and maybe need to see art that's not digital, not crypto so that they get, Hey, this is, this is art too. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be in this format or is it something else? Yeah. You
0: maybe, I mean, maybe this isn't the same experience for everybody, but like in Miami last year, when I met you, I couldn't escape NFTs and I wasn't just actually going to NFT events. I was going to events that were not NFT events and was assaulted By NFTs, which I think has a lot to do with the weird taste that everybody had in their mouth. Specifically after Basel last year, Basel, Switzerland was not that. I mean, you definitely had a Tezos booth in the fair minting generative pieces on this other platform called FXHash, which is a beautiful platform on on, on Tezos that mints generative art on demand. Definitely is a sponsored type thing, I I assume, in the the way that the, the booths work because there's branding all over it and it's meant to be like a demonstration. But besides that, I was able to avoid saying the word NFT. I was able to have conversation using the words digital art a lot. There's a world where ETH was struggling so bad that people just didn't even want to talk to me about it because they thought that I would like just start to cry or something because you don't bring up like poor Lyman yes. people's wounds. like and, and people don't know me that well. And so maybe they think like I'm just a crypto bro too, like under the surface. And whereas I, I literally could care less the value of ETH at any given moment, because I believe long-term ETH is as Joe Lubin, one of the key co- contributors in this in this space, said gold is sound money and Ethereum is ultra sound money and it's just the money of the future. Like I have no doubt that what we're experiencing with ETH right now is actually just a very low point. I, I think it could go a lot lower for what it's worth. And I have a stack of cash waiting to buy ETH at significantly lower values than it is today. But the 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 conversations were just not about the speculative nature of this, the conversation was about digital art, this renaissance of digital art, the thought process of creators, the beauty of what long form or short form generative art is. And I think it was because I was not completely surrounded by crypto. And the opposite of that is NFT week in New York, which is an incredibly compelling week just in and of itself. It's not that there's anything wrong with those conferences. It's just like When i go to an art fair i don't have the company that sells the canvases advertising inside of the fair like come use my canvas these parts of what we're doing need to be part of the plumbing and the infrastructure of what enables art to thrive and it probably just feels icky and gross to people that are participants in this space that they're presented with the canvas and the paint company is telling you what the best paint to use
1: is. And like, every time you walk around a fair, like that shouldn't be necessarily part of the conversation. But that's the art people and, and I get that. and I agree with everything you're saying there, but what about the, the web three people? I see you as evangelizing to them as like, hey, you've gotten a taste. Whatever got you into this, you also need to recognize, and I, I must recognize because you're owning it, you're taking risk on it, that it's art. And I, I guess I'm read that. As you saying, there's more art out there. There Now that you've gotten a taste of it, get a taste of some of the stuff that this will lead you to because you are one of the people who is happy in both worlds.
0: Absolutely. I've little by little cobbled together a, a contemporary art collection that I'm incredibly proud of. And I do encourage other people to participate. I also, but like really what I meant there was more of the conversations. The conversations were so meaningful in Basel. They were just meaningful in a different way. They were meaningful for art for the sake of art itself. And I would say that in New York, cause I came straight back to New York for NFT week after that, the, the conversation was actually very much shifted towards art for the sake of art itself too, which was really wonderful. There is still room for a art supply conference to exist. right? So we still need yeah. a conference where all the suppliers yeah. of canvases and paints and all that, but you don't have like an artist displaying their most recent pride work at the art supply conference and so i i was trying to kind of just express that there is a maybe nuanced right now but eventually clear divide between the tech the plumbing the functional tooling that we have now as artists to distribute our work in a way that's authentic, authenticated, whatever. And then the art. And I felt like Basel provided that. And I th- maybe we are going to see hybrids. Maybe NFT Week is a hybrid conference. I I also would love to see the NFT people walk up to a, a digital artwork at Basel. Like digital that they just fell madly in love with. That they were like, oh my God, I have... Because we have a lot of DJs like me that have it, turned into art collectors and enthusiasts. And been like... It's how are you gonna how are you gonna sell me this video? Is it a f- like thumb drive? Yeah, like yeah. and just I think that the awkwardness would be pretty real to be like, yes, sir. Like the artist created this beautiful package with a thumb drive or whatever, and it's like, and I'm supposed to plug it into my TV and then go into some media player and turn it on. Whereas like, I don't know. I just I just think I I would I would love to be a fly on the wall with like a major. NFT collector that has become an art enthusiast and critic, both in the NFT space and can actually speak eloquently about art outside of that and and have them be told, I would be like, yeah, I'll, I'll buy this for a hundred grand if you're willing to authenticate it as an NFT. And if not, I don't actually feel like I'm buying something with a technical quality of confidence that in five or 10 years, it will maintain its authenticity, right? And that's a really hard conversation to have because artists can be anti-NFT, galleries can be anti-NFT, but the reality is that like you, its it just feels so wrong to fight that. And so I'd like to see these people also interacting in the fair. I think eventually that's what, that'll be the common thing. You see digital art at a fair and you're just going to assume it's an NFT. You're going to be like, what's your, what's your, what's your standard operating procedures for selling digital work? And it's going to involve finding out their Ethereum address and some kind of like security measures that are not protocolized yet. That, that will be standard for selling digital work at an art fair.
1: And if they can do that, maybe then it'll be standard for selling all artwork eventually if you make it something that works better for everyone.
0: Yeah, I I still feel like there's a weird incompatibility with the traditional art world and, and or like traditional art mediums like sculpture and oil on canvas with the NFT space. I know that there are authentication protocols for it and you can plant devices into the authentic piece. But. Ultimately, there is a disconnect, a very, very, very sharp and discomforting disconnect between physical and digital. And there's this whole term of digital lately. And I think that digital works for disposable things, but. Uh, There's something that makes me very uncomfortable with the idea of a physical piece being separated from the digital form. The idea of the digital form just uh, acting as an authenticity certificate means that you then have to guarantee that you're going to get transferred that certificate when you buy the physical. The only thing that makes me feel like it's worth the square peg round hole is that maybe in this way, people that collect traditional art mediums will start participating in the culture of secondary market royalty for artists. Because if you take a step back and look, like it is kind of not fair that if you are a digitally native artist, you actually get to participate in your own success. And currently, if you're not a digitally native artist, you you can, but it's a little weird to get to participate in it.
1: Well, the paperwork has always been the issue. I mean, we've had these schemes for many years, and they, they always fall down on that the bookkeeping doesn't necessarily get done and, and, and doesn't quite work. But those are those are subjects for another day. And I don't want to keep you too long. So I'm going to end it here. And thank you. This is one. It's always lovely to talk talk to you, but it's great to hear that. I I just have to quote you to yourself. Maybe this doesn't happen forever, but it sounds like for the last year, but especially at our Basel, you said you were, you never felt so in demand in your life. And and I feel like this has very much been your year. It's been,
0: it's been a lot of fun and I'm I'm super grateful for it. And I don't take any of this for granted. And and, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me.
1: Thank you for joining us at the Intelligence podcast, edited by Colin Ketchum, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Intelligence podcast. We're looking forward to it.